1: You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, you got a pen, you're going to need it. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before stumbling. And you know, last week in chapter 4, we saw Nebuchadnezzar who was walking around his palace feeling secure, feeling strong, feeling successful. And he's feeling secure and strong and successful about the kingdom that he has built. And remember, we talked about Nebuchadnezzar has an eye problem, eye disease. Not like an eye disease, but an eye disease. And so he's walking around the palace and he's glorying in the kingdom that he has built. Pride. Things are going great. Until one night he goes to sleep, he wakes up in a cold sweat He's just had a dream, a fearful dream. He calls the what I like to call the pagan god squad, the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers. He calls them and asks them what the dream meant. They couldn't tell him. I'm amazed because every time something is asked of the magicians and the astrologers and the pagan god squad, they never know. I always wonder, why are these guys on payroll they don't know anything, they never know anything. And so the king says, you know, what does my dream mean? They don't know, but Daniel knew. Daniel could interpret the dream. The interpretation of the dream was simply this. King Nebi, you're going down. If you don't repent and turn away from your pride, God will have to humble you. And he didn't repent. We talked about it last week. He didn't repent and he didn't humble himself. And for four or for pardon me, for seven years, he went insane and acted like an animal and lived in a field and grazed and grew hair and claws like an animal. We talked about that last week. And remember, I mentioned to you that he went from the best to a beast, from the place, for, or for, pardon me, from the palace to the pasture, and from grandeur to grazing. Well, seven years now has passed. King Nebuchadnezzar humbles himself, and now he goes the opposite way. He went from grazing to grandeur, from the pasture to the palace, from a beast to the best, and God restored him, and God blessed him, and he became what I believe, and many scholars believe, a Christian. He became a born-again believer. He became a worshiper of the true and the living God. Well, we pick up tonight in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Saints, if you're there, say a hearty amen. amen. Belshazzar, not Belteshazzar. Belshazzar. You want to notice that? Remember, who is Belteshazzar? Daniel. His name means God is judge. Belshazzar, this is a different guy. Don't confuse the names. Belshazzar, he's the king now. He made a great feast for a thousand of his lords or heads of state, and he drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold, the silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Sacrilege. This is terrible. Well, then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine, and they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Stop right there. Give me your attention. Nebuchadnezzar, taking notes, Nebuchadnezzar has been dead now, beginning in chapter 5. We've heard the last about Nebuchadnezzar last week. He's been dead now for 20 years. He reigned on the throne as king of Babylon for 43 years. And now there's a new king, Belshazzar. Now, between Nebuchadnezzar, listen, turn your brain on, listen, between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, there were many kings. Here's a little bit of history of the transition Nebuchadnezzar had a son, and his name was Evil Merodach. Now, I gotta wonder is this name in the baby boy book? Were they sitting around the table, and decide, you know, what are we gonna name our son, Nebuchadnezzar and his wifey? What are we gonna name our son? Well, let's see. Let's go through the book. Well, we have—I uh, don't know. I like the name Bob. Uh, well, no, honey. Look at—oh, look at this name, Evil Merodach. Wow. Let's name him that. I mean, <laughs> did that happen? Look, if you're pregnant and you're gonna have a son, can I ask you? don't name him Evil Merodach, all right? Cuz kids are cruel. He'll he'll get it at school, man. I mean, it'll be terrible for him. But but Nebuchadnezzar, he had a son and his name was Evil Merodach. Evil Merodach was murdered in August of 560 BC by a man named Nergalasser, who was Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law and Evil Merodach's brother-in-law. Nergalasser He ruled for four years from 560 to 566 BC, and then he died a natural death. He was succeeded by his son, Labashai Marduk, and actually this guy has another name of which I could not pronounce, so I chose this one because it was easier, Labashai Marduk. And so he had this son, he was succeeded by Labashai Marduk, who, as a child, he had diminished mental capacity that means he was crazy this boy was nuts and he ruled for two months may and june 556 bc a gang beat him to death and appointed nebonitis is his name or nebonitis is his name that's who was appointed to the throne Nebuchadnezzar ruled for 17 years from 556 B.C. to 539 B.C., which is where we are in chapter 5. He was another son-in-law to Nebuchadnezzar, and he married this woman named Nitrosis. If you're having a daughter, okay. So Nebuchadnezzar was leading Babylon toward the worshiping of Yahweh. Remember, he gave his life to the Lord back in chapter 4. He started turning the kingdom. The history is interesting. It's just days and days of reading about history. He started turning the kingdom toward the one, the only, the true God, Yahweh. So he tried to to get the people to worship God. This guy, Nebuchadnezzar, he tried to restore the pagan glory of Babylon. That's where we are in chapter 5. It's 539 B.C., 70 years since chapter 1. Now, I realize that you guys are good Bible students. I want you to look at verse 1 again, because verse 1 says, Belshazzar is the king of Babylon, not Nebonidus. This is where scholars take issue also with the book of Daniel. They say, see, one of the, the, the points of the critics, they say, they point out this chapter, they say, according to historical records, and they are right, according to historical records, Belshazzar was not the last king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was. And they are right. And the Bible's clear. The Bible says Belshazzar was the last king in Babylon. So what do we have here? Who was the king? Listen both. Both? How so, Rodney? Get this. 1854, a small clay cylinder was found in the area of southern Iraq. This small clay cylinder is in the British Museum today. In the cylinder, they found documents in 1854. They found documents that said that Nebonidus was away on a military campaign. And while he was gone, he appointed Belshazzar, his son, to rule in Babylon, which is very normal. When a king went off to fight, he would leave someone in charge in case he was killed. So Nebonidus left Belshazzar in charge to act as king while dad went off to fight. So both. And then the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. And they didn't really seriously discover this until 1854. God's word is true, saints. Amen? And you know what they say? They say every time a spade goes in the ground, it proves the word of God even more. The archaeologists, they find this and they go, Oh, yeah, well, we found this. And then all these these same archaeologists are trying to disprove the Bible. That's why they're digging up stuff. And they go, Oh, we found this. Well, let's see if we can find that in the Bible. Oh, yeah, there it is. We better go dig somewhere else. (laughs) I love that. So now in in our text, Belshazzar, he's throwing a party for a thousand of the heads of state. And they're eating, and they're drinking, and they are partying hardy. The wine is flowing, the people are getting drunk, and get this, meanwhile, outside the wall of the city, King Cyrus and his boys are planning an attack. And Belshazzar is inside partying, he doesn't even care. He's not even concerned, and understandably so. Because it was ridiculous to think that the city of Babylon could be taken. It was ridiculous to think that. This was an incredibly fortified city. The walls of the city of Babylon were 300 feet high, 80 feet thick. They would ride eight chariots abreast one another on top of the walls. 270 towers were located on the wall. In these towers would be soldiers. As people would dare be stupid enough to try to come into the city, these soldiers all around the city, 270 towers would just throw rocks on them and throw tar on them and light them on fire. There is no possible way anyone could get into the city. So you got Belshazzar, he's inside, he's having a party, he's relaxing. He's probably showing off for the heads of states. Like He knows they're out there. But he's showing off. Hey, I don't even care. Who cares? I mean, they're not going to get in here. He was comfortable. He was confident. In the city of Babylon, they, we, we are told that their granary and their, and their farms and their water supply and their food supply and everything that they needed, they had enough supplies within the walls of the city for 20 years. For 20 years, they would never have to come outside of the city for anything. This was an incredibly fortified city. You understand that. So Belshazzar is relaxing, partying hardy in the city. He's not worried about the Medo-Persians, King Cyrus and his boys outside planning an attack, he's not even thinking about it. So he's throwing a party. Belshazzar is probably intentionally trying to send a message to the political leaders that he's not worried. And so he's thinking, let's not fear the Medes, let's feast, let's party. And notice there were women at the party, women, wives, and concubines, which is very unusual for a Babylonian gathering. Never, ever, ever would women be allowed in a Babylonian party unless, no children in here, unless there were partying and orgies. This is the scene. I'm not trying to be gross. I'm trying to help you get the picture here. This guy is something else. So they've got women there. And, 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 and they're drinking from the holy vessels. Did you see that? This king then decides, probably in a drunken state. You know, people do crazy things when they get the drinking. Folks get drink. That's why when, you know, I don't go to them kind of parties. I'm sorry. If there's going to be liquor, I call it liquor. <laughs> okay? If there's going to be liquor there, Pastor Ronnie ain't coming. Because cause folks get drinking, and then they start talking, Oh, you know what I mean. Say amen. I know y'all in church and everything, but y'all like, I don't know nothing about that. I <laughs> don't know nothing about that, Pastor. Oh, yeah, you do. But well, y'all get sanctified, all right? <laughs> and folk get drinking, and they drunk, and, you know, before you know it, they putting lampshades on their heads and dancing around and doing a bunny hop and all that stuff. I got to go... And they do crazy things. And so here we have Belshazzar, <laughs> who is doing some crazy stuff. He takes the holy vessels. These are vessels that were obtained from Nebuchadnezzar and his attacks on Jerusalem and desecrating the, the temple there in Jerusalem and taking all of the menorah and all of the holy artifacts and all the holy vessels. And these are, these are articles and trophies. And they probably were under lock and key. Now, Belshazzar is trying to impress his political leaders and his friends showing off. He's drunk, not thinking straight, and he takes those holy vessels. Now, here's where the straw breaks the camel's back. He takes those holy vessels and he puts wine in them, and they start drinking and toasting and giving them to the prostitutes and the concubines and the wives and the women, and they just start partying. This was Belshazzar's way of boasting of his wealth and boasting of his strength. You see? You know, I was reading a report, and matter of fact, I was pretty alarmed to find this out, that talking about drinking, that uh, Americans spend $33 billion on alcohol a year. That's a lot of money. And, and And for every one heroin addict... There are 15 alcoholics in this country. Did you even know that? No, you probably wouldn't, because a heroin addict, oh, my God. A hero, you're on heroin? Oh, no, but, but, but you, you have to have, you know, martini after work every day. Oh, but you're on heroin. For every one heroin addict in this country, there are 15 alcoholics. I find that interesting. Well, they take the wine. They take the alcohol, they pour it in the cups, they drank it, enjoying themselves. When all of a sudden, in verse 5, look at it, in the same hour, the finger of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, And then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees began to knock. (laughs) Are you guys picturing this? I mean, this is a trip. Belshazzar is partying. He's drinking. He's toasting. He's yucking it up with his friends. They're probably you know, they're they getting their boogie on or whatever. You know, they're probably doing the Macarena or something. You know, they like, you know, you know doing, a, you know, doing the Macarena when all of a sudden God shows up and spoils the party. Nebuchadnezzar is probably right in the middle of Macarena. Uh, he looks across the room and he sees a finger writing in the plaster of the wall. And all of a sudden he's not drunk anymore. Wow, this is the quickest sober-upper you ever seen. All of a sudden, he's not drunk anymore, he's sober. And not only did he get sober, but he got scared. He got so scared, the joints of his hips were loosened. Now, all right, Lord, help me to say this the best way possible. Okay, can we say peptate? That'd probably be the nicest way to say it on CD, all right? In other words, we'll just go on, all right? If you know what I mean, say amen. amen. Okay, good. <laughs> Not only that, but then his knees began to knock together. I'm talking, I'm talking scared here. This guy is, scared. I mean, he's so scared. He's just like, ah! He just freaked out and just lost everything and knees knocking and he, he, he lost it. I mean, you ever been so scared, like, you just lose it? Like, you, you know, I've been so scared, somebody to come up on me and scare me like that, I just, I, I just hit him all of a sudden, I just, bam! He's like, oh, I'm so sorry, mom, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, son, oh, mom, you scared me, I can't. You know, you ever get so scared, you just lose it. I mean, you lose it. And this is what happened, he really lost it. <laughs> and he's scared. And, and that really should scare him. I mean, it would scare anyone. Now get this. The Bible says, talking about Nebuchadnezzar or talking about Belshazzar, he saw the handwriting on the wall and he started to shake. You know what this did? This brought me to Revelation chapter six, verse 16. Matter of fact, just go ahead and put your finger right here in Daniel and turn there real quick. You know, it's the last book of the Bible. You know, it's the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter, notice this here, chapter six. this is a a good verse. Let me get there real quick. I can't seem to get there myself. Revelation chapter six. Look at this here. All right. All right. Look, it's on page 1092. There you go. Okay. Look at Revelation chapter six. I thought of this talking about, talking about the handwriting on the wall. He began to shake. The Bible says, unbelievers one day will stand before God. And you know what's going to happen? they're going to shake. Look at verse 16. And the kings of the earth, notice in verse 16, verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks. We're talking about the tribulation time now. Fall on us and hide us from the face of one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. The Bible is very, very clear unbelievers one day will stand before God and they will shake and tremble. They mock now, but they'll shake and they'll tremble before the wrath of the lamb. A paradox. A paradox. The wrath of the lamb? When is the last time you've seen a sign that said, beware of lamb? (laughs) Hmm, things that make you go, Hmm, that's a paradox. The wrath, of, when's the last time you've seen a growling lamb? You know, like Lambo or something. I mean, when's, I mean, when's the last time you've seen this? This is a paradox. This is one of those paradoxes in the Bible that's clear. The people are going to shake before the wrath of the lamb. And here we have, flip back, Belshazzar. He is shaking and he's afraid because God has come to judge him. And God shows up, notice, with his finger. It's the finger of God. Now, two times in the Bible, you will see two times, two ways in which you see the finger of God in the Bible. Listen, number one, in judgment. Number two, in grace. Number one, in judgment. What do you mean, Rodney? Exodus chapter 8, go read that in your own time. God told Abraham to stretch out his staff and to strike the dust. You probably know the story. And there were gnats on man and beast. And all the dust of the earth became gnats. And, and And the magicians tried to do the same thing. They tried to copy God's miracle. But they couldn't. And they said to the Pharaoh, they said, This is the finger of God in judgment. And we see the finger of God in grace. Where do you find that? Not Exodus. Okay, Exodus 8, the finger of God in judgment. John chapter 8, the finger of God in grace. Remember the woman, we have the adulterous woman. She's accused of being caught in the very act of adultery. And when they caught a woman in the act of adultery, listen at this. They would bring this woman to the priest naked in the condition that they found her. And she was ordered, did you know? She was ordered to stand in three feet high of manure. And they would stone that woman there. And they would bury her. And they would plant a tree over her for adultery. And I was thinking, if they were to do this in America today, all of the United States would be forest land. <laughs> oh, that's another sermon, y'all. <laughs> And so they plant a tree over her. And and remember, they brought this woman to Jesus. And Jesus is standing there. And everyone has a rock in their hand.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time.